Hello and welcome to the Politically Speaking Podcast. We're back after taking a week off. Woo! It's, it's time to celebrate. In 2013, the first Politically Speaking Podcast of 2013. We're up to, we're into two-year territory now. Oh, yeah. This is this is the second year the Politically Speaking Podcast has been around. Wow. Technically. Wow. Te- yeah, we're not technically. up to, we're not up to 52 weeks. Are we no. on the air? Uh, we're We're on the air. Okay. <laughs> and Am I, I here? <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, okay. I'm your host as always, Chris McDaniel, a political reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me as always, Jason Rosenbaum of the hard-hitting St. Louis Beacon. Uh, Joe Manis of the... Um, also hard-hitting. Yes, well, hard-hitting, but also fair and... And balanced. balanced. I feel like those are trademarked. I feel like we're going to owe Fox (laughs) News a lot of money right now just for saying fair and balanced. I have $5 in my pocket, so. (laughs) I don't know if that'll cover it. (sighs) But let's just go ahead and get right down to it. Legislative session will be coming back pretty soon. January 9th. In fact, next week. Six days. Six days for those of you counting down. Jason, you had a story go up yesterday, I believe, that was sort of what's going to be happening Yeah, quite a bit, I think. There were a lot of things that happened over the last couple of years, which the legislature had talked about or had made some progress on, but didn't quite make the finish line. That includes everything from reconfiguring tax credits to coming up with a more comprehensive economic development vision to whether to bond in order to build roads or higher education institutions. Um, That's just a fraction of some of the things that they've been talking about, but for whatever reason couldn't get done. So I think like every beginning of a legislative session, you always break it down to sections and you break it down onto what certain focuses are going to be. And in that particular piece, um, I kind of piggybacked on what Joe wrote about a few weeks ago about how I think the legislature is going to talk a lot about taxes and how the business taxes and how the state taxes businesses. I think that there's going to be discussion on labor regulations. How far that goes mm-hmm. is kind of remains to be seen due to what we talked about earlier uh, with with the Republicans, you know, having some labor ties. Mm-hmm. And then the question is whether there's even going to be a big discussion on health care. I mean, I think it's kind of an assumption now that a state-based health insurance exchange is going to have an extremely difficult chance of passing. And it probably won't even be brought up. And then Medicaid expansion, maybe there's a window there because the pressure from hospitals and medical providers is more acute. But as we've talked about several times on this podcast, the obstacles are just very daunting for proponents of that, not just political proponents like Democratic Governor Jay Nixon, but also these these medical providers that are pushing it. So yeah, because, because well, and we've talked about this numerous times. But the fact is that in 2005, um, the Missouri Legislature under then Governor Matt Blunt uh, severely cut the state's Medicaid program so that it was at the national minimum. Uh, and there have been various small attempts to try to increase that back up to add some of the several hundred thousand people who got who were either tossed off entirely or partially and uh, that has not been successful Uh, Nixon had campaigned on the issue of restoring the cuts back in 2008 didn't happen Uh, now he has come out within the last since his re-election in November 
saying he wants to expand Medicaid as the federal government is recommending under the Affordable Care Act. But as Jason is saying, um, we both agree on this, that um, the legislative leaders, all Republicans, are very strongly philosophically against this and will likely not bring up the proposal unless the hospital groups are able to make such a strong case that there's a change of heart. And right now, I don't see that. Yeah. Now, things can change, but I don't see that. I think the other element that's going to be coming in is this is an an, an odd number year, not an odd year, although it is kind of odd we're in 2013. <laughs> but uh, that means there's always a turnover of new people. And in the term-limited world, that means new leaders for, for, for both parties. And you have Tim Jones of Eureka, the Republican Speaker of the House. You have Tom Dempsey, the St. Charles uh, Senate pro tem. Which shows a heavy influence by the St. Louis, Louis area. area I, yeah. I, think that, I, I think this is un, unprecedented, at least in recent times. Yeah, and I think it's going to be interesting to see how that works out. I think for people like us who are in the St. Louis region, you kind of have that, that synchronicity of, of having leaders from that, the biggest region of the state – whether that chafes with other members of the Republican caucus from elsewhere, be it you know rural parts or Greene County or the Kansas City area, I mean I don't I don't really know if that's going to happen, but it might be something to look out for if that becomes kind of a you know an issue kind of in between the lines. Um, but I mean the reason I bring that up is with new leaders comes a new way of delivering priorities and delivering an agenda. And there's also just a lot of new people in the House and the Senate who some of them, for example, in the House side probably are inexperienced when it comes to the legislative process and are probably going to be learning the next year or two how that works. Some of them in the Senate, you know, are coming from the House or have been away for a while and are, are coming back or they were staffers. There's a couple of instances where there, there are staffers that are becoming senators. So. It'll be interesting to see how that dynamic works out and to see how some of these leaders, both Republican and Democrat, kind of function as, as time goes on. So a lot to look forward to, I think. Yeah, because there's a number of issues. I think the a thing with the corporate income tax where there's going to be an effort among Republican legislators to phase it out, and that's, and that's over $340 million a year out of the state budget. That's a big chunk of the— general revenue, um, several percentage points, uh, and they're being propelled by what's happening in Kansas because Kansas is phasing theirs out. But Kansas also is already seeing some deficits, projected deficits in the near term because Kansas was cutting theirs really, cutting theirs out really quickly. So I think it's going to be interesting to see if the legislature in Missouri, where there have been some gung-ho advocates that I've written about uh, right after the election, if there's any sort of moderating on that, if it looks like Kansas is um, going to be hit with some more financial problems or if there's a belief that all this will lead to um, more economic development, which is what uh, backers say. They think that eliminating the uh, business taxes will prompt businesses from other states to move to Missouri, um, or at least give Missouri a look. Yeah, I think on this issue, there, this could be something where something actually comes out of this. Yes. Because I remember a couple of years ago, and I, and I might be getting the name wrong, there was 
a successful effort to phase out, what was it, the franchise tax? And, th- and that was, yeah, but franchise tax at its peak only collected $90 million a yeah. year. Yeah. Po- my point being that was an instance where, you know, that type of thing passed without too much opposition. I don't want to say it was universally passed. And I think that if the legislature kind of puts its head together and decides what it wants, what it wants to do, this could be an instance where, you know, they may be able to come up with something that maybe doesn't please everybody, but maybe they they can be sent to the governor and it could possibly be signed. So. Yeah, it'd be interesting because the franchise tax have been in place since 1917. Mm-hmm. I looked this up, uh, you know, and it was part of this effort. So it's going to be interesting. Now the Missouri Chamber put out their list of. Um, Priorities um, just within the last 24 hours, and that the uh, business income taxes and 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 restrictions on uh, labor in the workplace were among the key issues that were on their list, along with um, uh, repairing the second injury fund and some of the other perennial issues that haven't been done. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this how the legislature handles all this stuff. Because because it's an odd year, like you're saying, mm-hmm. this is a non-election year. So usually the legislature is busiest on those issues that could be difficult to pass in election year. Yeah, but the one the one thing that's different this time around is 14. I think I've said this before on the show. There's the auditor's race. In 2014. And there could maybe be you know ballot initiatives or whatever. But there's no U.S. Senate race and none of the races for any of the other statewide offices. Now, whether that like decreases the pressure for people to, to do things or whether it expands the amount of time for people to get things done, I mean, it's, it's unclear at this point. But it, does, it is a change variable from 2012, 2010, 2008, or 2006. Yeah, but still, all, all of the House will be up yes, in 2014 exactly. and half of the state Senate So in 2014. So again, I think the if you look at history— Generally speaking, the legislative sessions during those years, mm-hmm. uh, they're more cautious. They're more likely to want to do tax cuts or things that are crowd-pleasing, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So 2013 is going to be the year that they tackle any issues that would be controversial because the v- general view has always been that if there's something you want to do but you're not sure what the public's going to think of it but you think it's the right thing to do, you try to do it early in the non-election year so that by the election year the public's either gotten used to it or forgotten about it i mean this goes back i mean that's how mel carnahan got his big tax increase in 1993 within a few months after he took office so by the time 1994 came around and legislators were pounding on it because they were trying to get that that was the education tax um didn't get anywhere plus the money was already in some of the public schools and they liked it so um so I think this is the same type of thing. I think these difficult issues would be dealt with this time. Just really quickly, last week before uh, – the day before Christmas actually was when uh, Democratic Governor Jay Nixon decided to take a stand on the arming teachers uh, bill that has been proposed. And he sent a letter out to all of the school superintendents saying that he does not support it. But right. Funny how it was sent out the day before Christmas though. Yes, I thought it was interesting. And, of course, and Jason's written about the uh, legislative proposals dealing with uh, proposals that would arm teachers. Yeah. I think also on the day before Christmas, didn't he appoint 
Stephen Limbaugh's son to be yes. Cape Girardeau prosecutor. Yes, that raised a couple of eyebrows, not just because he's Rush Limbaugh's cousin, but because mm-hmm. it's another Limbaugh in that position. I think it's a third generation. And or he's also like that. young. Um, I believe he went to, to law school with a couple of people I know. Yeah, I went to you know, hmm. law school with some relatives I know. <laughs> <laughs> and But, yeah, I think it, it, that whole thing with the um, uh, with Nixon's objections to it also, though, sets up um, potential um, yet another fight because he's already, you know, at odds with legislative leaders over the um, which he doesn't do very often. He doesn't he doesn't take stands against the legislature. He hasn't well. in the past. But yes. now that he's won reelection, he can't run again for governor. Uh, often second term governors tend to be feistier. You can go back to Kip Bond even mm-hmm. a lot of their more uh, brave initiatives for good or bad were done during that second term. And uh, I think that Nixon seems to be fitting in with that. Now, his objections on the gun uh, issue, forget, I mean, not getting into the nitty-gritty of the guns, it also has to deal with the fact that in Missouri, uh, school districts are pretty autonomous, pretty much run themselves. They have some state oversight, but, uh, you know, they're they're independent bodies. And many of them have bans against any sort of weapons in schools and this and that. And the legislative proposals that would allow teachers to be armed basically would eliminate some of that. And yeah, would really, I think that was his main main Correct, point. correct. Yeah. And I think that's where these school boards uh, may have some objections. Yeah. Less on the guns, but more on the curbing of their rights. Well, let's move on. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the Missouri Republican Party and its chairman. David Cole uh, is receiving some opposition. Joe? Yes, I think uh, David Cole, who's a lawyer from Cassville, um, he's been the uh, chairman of the state Republican Party for uh, roughly four years. Anyway, he's being challenged by um, two from our area. Uh, Ed Martin. Ed Martin, who's who... the former attorney general candidate who lost to Chris Guster. And my former, neighbor. <laughs> former attorney general candidate, former candidate for plenty of other offices Congress that year. and very narrowly. Uh, lost a bid for Congress against Russ Carnahan in 2010, yeah. and uh, outgoing state senator Jane Cunningham, um, whose district got moved across the state, and so she didn't have a district to run for re-election in uh, in 2012. And uh, I talked to her earlier this week, and her contention is that all you have to do is look at the election results, that even though the Republicans may have increased their majorities in the legislature— they lost all but one statewide office, mm-hmm. Kinder, Lieutenant Governor Peter Kinder. And she says that that shows that the state GOP needs uh, new ideas and a new direction because she's saying for Mitt Romney to win by 10 points in the state and then for virtually every Republican underneath them to lose, uh, she thinks that means that there needs to be some, some, some changes. Mm-hmm. Now, Jane Cunningham has also uh, promoted her ties to Tea Party type groups who were aligned with her in 2010 when she um, helped lead the effort to pass um, Proposition C, which attempted to exempt Missouri from many of the health care mandates in the Affordable Care Act. And meantime, Martin, Ed Martin has, uh, from my Republican sources are telling me, he has not returned my calls, but my Republican sources are telling me that he has forged some alliances with some of the Ron Paul, Rand Paul supporters who now sit on the state committee, who uh, 
won some of these posts within the last year. And so that it could be closer. I'm hearing from some Republican insiders that this could be a tight race between yeah, the three of them. Because, you know, hmm. from my impressions of, of, of talking and, and interviewing and just kind of studying her, her campaign finances over the years, she's kind of – Jane Cunningham is kind of a, a hybrid. You mentioned the fact that she kind of has this Tea Party appeal because of her, her opposition to the health care law and Prop C – but she's also, from from just what I recall, a very good fundraiser yes. and has ties, you know, to national Republican figures. I remember in her state Senate race in 2008, John Ashcroft endorsed her over Gina Loudon and Neil St. Ange. And just, you know, she she can probably I don't know what David Cole's role in fundraising for the party is. They typically have had pretty good fundraising in certain seg- segments, especially when legislative races. But I wouldn't count. I wouldn't. I would say that, that might be kind of her appeal, and that she kind of appeals to some of the grassrootsy sort of people in the party. But also from an establishment practical perspective, she may be able to get some of that there. But I, I think it was it was mentioned that Cole got a letter where he was endorsed by some some heavy hitters, and I think including Roy Blunt and Kinder. So I think that he's going to probably accentuate some of what he feels. Yes, to be Blunt the and Kinder did both endorse. Yeah, both. and the Republican congressional delegation. I'm hearing all the member, all the Republican members of the congressional delegation are endorsing his reelection. Hence, hence why I think that it could indeed be very close because you have all of those. Well, yeah, and, and and Cunningham has been focusing on the money-raising role of the chairman because, the, the, as, as you mentioned, that's a key role of the party chairman is to make the donors happy and get them to bring in money. And so she's fo- uh, highlighting the and I, I her will, efforts to woo, woo donors. I will, be, I will say, though, Ed Martin did a pr- reasonably good job of fundraising yes. during his campaign. Um, I don't want to take any credit away from him. And he also did well in 2010. So obviously he has that component as well. Um, I, I I don't know how he kind of fits into this race beyond what you said with his appeal to the Ron Rand Paul aspect to the party. But, I mean, him being in the race makes it, you know, probably unpredictable because there are, there's a three-way race and there's probably going to be split different ways. Well, so. and the fact that Cunningham and Martin are both from the St. Louis area, I mean, one could look at it strategically and say that that could help Cole from the standpoint that you could have uh, whatever critics in the St. Louis area split. I mean, just looking at it, I mean, I'm not saying which candidate will, will be better, but just looking at it, gener- generally speaking, if you have a three-way race and two of the people are from the same geographic area, that sometimes tends to um, help the one who's not from that area. Right, exactly. Well, speaking of the St. Louis area, let's move on to the St. Louis mayoral race. <laughs> which um, is always a ton of fun. <laughs> yes, yes it is. Well, uh, mayoral candidate Lewis Reed has been uh, switching up his his organization pretty close to when the primary would take place. Uh, Matt Teeter, his former campaign manager, has uh, separated all ties with with Lewis Reed. Joe, you had the story first, so why don't you take it from there? Well, I think uh, I, what Reed was telling me, I got him on New Year's Day. He was saying that he never planned on keeping uh, Matt Teeter long term, and that the Matt was just helping him to get things together for the final two month push. Uh, Matt Teeter is the former executive director of the Missouri Democratic Party. And um, he resides here right now. I mean, 
And uh, Teeter, though, says that, no, um, he was supposed to do it long term, but that he and Reed had philosophical differences on how the campaign should go. And Teeter says, if I've got a client who's not listening to my advice, uh, there's no point in me hanging around. I'll do something else. And I wish him the best. So uh, now this comes, though, as candidate filing ends January 4th for mayor and all the other citywide races on the um, March primary ballot and the April general election. But it also comes as Reed, ha- his money raising is, is only about a tenth of what the yeah. mayor has in the bank. So he's got a ways to go. Now, he says he thinks he doesn't need as much money, that he has grassroots but it'll be interesting to see, A, who he taps to be his uh, campaign manager. If it's somebody connected, let's say like an alderman Antonio French who mm-hmm. has some grassroots ties, or if he goes in some other direction. Um, but it does set it up for um, interesting next couple months. Absolutely. Yeah. I I don't know. It just seems like he had a kickoff at Squire's. Yes. And then he hasn't done. And then it seems like the mayor's race has kind of been in a holding pattern, I guess, while filing has, has right. gone. Which yeah. I, I don't know. Is that typically what happens or is it typically like? Not always. I mean, in fact, uh, I've heard from some sources uh, close to the mayor's camp who say that he or his operatives have shown up at certain places where they thought Reed would be so they could distribute literature or say stuff. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't there. Hmm. So, um Sometimes it, they, it's, it's very aggressive right out of the box. Sometimes uh, the candidate, especially the challenger, wants to kind of make sure that the field is set. Mm-hmm. Sometimes this reflects concern that there may be another candidate out there that's going to file before the deadline. Which And is, there is a third candidate right now, Jimmy Matthews. Right, third Democrat. Yes. But there is no Republican right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's just a Green Party candidate. So uh, I, arguably there may be just a Democrat and a Green Party running in April, which means that for practical purposes, the Democrat would have the edge in this town. So March, the March primary is it. Of course, the I March mean, primary has been it for The Republicans decades. would have had to recruit like David Freeze or something to make it competitive. <laughs> I mean, it was yeah. going to be the primary no matter what, which is probably why I, I would assume a lot of Republicans in the city – probably vote in the Democratic primary. Yes, they do, because in Missouri, you don't have uh, candidate, you don't have party ID that you have to file when you uh, register to vote, so you can take a ballot in any primary. And mm. frankly, in some uh, mayoral contests... That could the, be a pretty major I'm, vote. I'm going to show my age here, but in 1997 and in 2001, uh, the Republican crossover was very key in... Uh, getting uh, Clarence Harmon elected in 1997 and in getting Francis Slay elected the first time Mm -hmm. in 2001. In fact, the last time that a really strong Republican candidate who appeared to have a chance uh, was running for mayor in the city of St. Louis, and I covered the race, and this is before you guys were born, was in 1981. And that was Jerry Wamser who uh, passed on within the past year. Yeah, so, I mean... I, I I don't know who what that segment of the St. Louis city population is going to vote for, but I don't know if Reed has presented a, a rationale or a pitch to the type of voter to vote for him, and yet maybe he will. 
So. Well, and he also has pointed to some attacks. He's contending that some of these social media attacks that are circulating about him, he's contending that the mayor or his allies are behind him, but there's no evidence. I mean, there's no proof of that. And uh, the mayor's people say they're not involved in any of that, and they're saying they don't need to get personal. Um, so it, but it, it could be pretty nasty in the next couple months. But right now, Reed's got to get his campaign stuff together first. Absolutely. Well, we will be covering that in the next couple of months. That should just about do it for the first episode of 2013. Woo! 2013 <laughs> feels pretty good so far. You can read all of my stories at stlpublicradio.org. You can read all of Joe and Jason's stories at stlbeacon.org. You can find me on Twitter at, at @csmcdaniel. You can find Jason on Twitter at J Rosenbaum and Joe Mannies at J Mannies. That's J M A N N I E S. <laughs> and we will be back next week to talk about more political stories. Until then, so long. So long. Bye. <laughs>